0: Food lovers everywhere You're listening to On the Menu With Ann and Peter Haig And today we're devoting The program to a couple of Segments about a really Expanding Ever expanding Category of specialty food Called beverages Uh, To start off with We had a great deal of fun Talking to the the Penningtons about their Distillery uh, which is all the top things you're looking for in something to drink. Let's listen to well, Jimmy. The
1: funny, funny part about it is their, their, their brand name is named after Davidson and Davidson is surprisingly enough not half brothers, last <laughs> name, a family name. It happens to be the county in which Nashville is located and where the raw materials and the beverage itself are actually made. So these, these, are, these are pioneering people who have been at it a decade or so and going from strength to strength.
0: Go ahead, love. Oh, yes. Well, we're talking to Jeff and Jenny Pennington um, from this amazing, award-winning, multiple, multiple award-winning distillery. Welcome to On the Menu, you two. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Glad to be here. Yeah, you're, you're in Nashville. I should say that because that, that sets the tone. We love Nashville.
2: <laughs>
0: it's a drink in town with a music problem. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the official go-to? And we've re- and we've yeah. lost to lots
1: of distilleries, right? The distilleries wherever yeah, you, you know, look. We're,
2: yeah, we're building up some here in Middle Tennessee. I think we're up to maybe six or seven now, almost eight. There's a lot really? of in East Tennessee, but... But, uh, why
1: did you why no, no, did you,
2: why ahead, did you feel
1: the necessity to get another one to open another one
2: well we were actually the I believe we were the fourth one to open in the whole state uh, okay we were one of the first ones we were one of the first three to open after the laws changed in 2009 mm-hmm. um, but the reason for us is it's pretty straightforward I mean the history of Tennessee whiskey is was was always there I mean it, the actual idea came from Jenny and I, we traveled Europe for a little bit, and we were looking for a brand to import. Oh,
3: really? All right. I, okay. All right. And,
2: yeah, and we realized that, uh, just, you know, no matter, no matter where we went, whether it was Turkey, Greece, Spain, Italy, you know, you say Tennessee, and everybody in the world knows two things, <laughs> Jack Daniels and Elvis Presley. <laughs> uh, they probably couldn't kick out Tennessee on a map but they could. They, they all knew it. And, you know, at the time, you couldn't have distilleries again. And then when we came back, it was about, you know, we started hearing whispers of the laws changing to allow them to open up again. So we started in our research, and uh, what we realized is, you know, Tennessee had almost more, more distilleries than any state in the Union prior to Prohibition and the fewest after. Here we are with the world's number one single skew sold whiskey in the world, and there's really no competitor to it. You, know, you look across the border in Kentucky, my wife and I both sold bourbons for many years and for the distributors, and there's hundreds of great bourbons. Uh, but, you know, there's really, other than George and Jack, there was no other Tennessee whiskeys. Where at the turn of 1900, just in, just in Davidson County, which is where Nashville is, there was over 60 registered stills. Uh, we have all the same elements. We have the hot and the cold. Uh, you know, we always have the same. If you don't like the weather in Tennessee, just wait a minute. You know, like today's 74, tomorrow's probably it's going to be like 40, you know, and it goes back and forth. So you get lots of different temperature changes. We've got more caves and springs than any state. We're just, you know, we're the Tennessee Valley, so there's unlimited amounts of just great limestone filtered water. Uh, And there was a lot of farming, you know. At the end of the day, distilling was an agricultural business. It it was a way for farmers to move their grain to the market at the end of the season outside of just in bushels of bags, right? They could take it Right,
1: right, right.
2: And... And so the history was here, the quality was here, you know, and for us, you know, we looked up at Kentucky saying, well, Kentucky's got a score because they never really shut down. So they, they kept it going all the way through Prohibition and after where we ended it during Prohibition and even stayed in Prohibition for 10 years after Prohibition ended federally on the national level for Moore County and then all the way until 2009 for the statewide.
1: Now, is it, is it true that Mr. Jack Daniel, not Daniels was actually taught to make taught to make bourbon. I mean, taught, taught, taught to make whiskey by an African American slave.
2: oh uh, you know, I wouldn't be shocked. I, I believe that that's the story that I've heard. I mean, that that story was actually the history of Jack Daniels was printed in 1972, uh, and it talks about that in there. And the story's not new. It's just finally someone really took something with it and ran with it. If that's if you know what I mean. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Great story. Uh, you know, he, Jack, I believe, the story I've heard now. I'm not a historian, but is that uh, the preacher, oh, what was his name, that owned the Jack Daniels, uh the, the original distillery. Um, gosh, I should remember his name. The preacher owned the distillery, and the preacher, too, had slaves. Um, and, you know, Mr. Jack Daniels went to work for him when he was, I don't know, in his team. like I heard he bought it in 15, when he was 15 years old or 16 years old. And so he worked side-by-side side with Nathan Neistream and a lot of other, I'm sure, plenty of other people, and unfortunately you know, worked So when Jack Daniels bought it, I guess the preacher's wife, you know, prohibition was coming, you know, the, the whole movement was happening, and the preacher's wife basically told him, like, look, you've you got to pick. You've got to pick between your church or the distillery. I You know, I just don't feel good that you're doing both. So the preacher chose his church, uh, and he sold the distillery to Jack Daniels when he was, I think, either fifteen or sixteen years old. Uh, really? And from the story, no yeah, and from the what the story I've heard that Jack Daniel's actually hired uh, the former Nathan Green, as the former slave, as one of his first employees. Now he was always a free man. Jack Daniel's never owned a slave. That's a, that's the thing I'm always adamant. But I think some people get confused in the story. Okay. He never owned a slave. And, actually, he was one of the first, if you look at it, there's pictures of him in his times taking pictures with African-Americans. In the South, nobody did that. Like, that was right, not something right. you did. You know? I, I, and for him, I mean, I am not. I don't mean that to me. I'm just saying, like, I thought that was it's very, he was very progressive. Like, he, he would sit next to him, There's pictures of him, sitting with all of his workers, and he made them landowners. Uh, you know, Nathan Green ended up being a landowner. Jack Daniels, and a lot of his family still in Bland around Jack Daniels from that, so he was very progressive. I think it's a great story. I'm really shocked that Jack Daniels didn't tell the story. Uh, you know, I think they just didn't want to look like they were being opportunistic. So yeah, but it's yeah. really fu-
1: it's really funny that when when I was coming to the United States for the first time in 1972, I happened to be reading a, a spy novel at least procedural novel i guess and there was a character in the in the book called the man who loved jack daniels <laughs> <laughs> so so no, knowing that i would be visiting with a, a number of people for whom i want to might want to bring an arrival gift i bought four bottles of jack daniel i remember they were green labels on the outside
2: yeah, I, bought, I bought
1: them at the duty-free store so that I had something to present to people who entertained me while I was in their town.
2: <laughs> See, the funny part is, you know, in Tennessee, we didn't we didn't really ever get a lot of access to the Green Label. Green Label was mainly exported for us. I don't know if they right, right. have it out now much or not,
0: but yeah. Really? Huh. But, yeah. But what no. a colorful history goes on there, huh? Oh, yeah, that man. Was... and that's why we chose Tennessee
2: I mean we're both I'm born and raised here Jane's been here since she was eight, and you know we have the history like we have all these stills and all the, you know there's tons of old distilleries that that lived here before, and there's processes and there's a history you know there's a there's a brand there's a franchise there, it's kind of like champagne or tequila or yeah, you know yeah. anybody has a region i mean we are a region like I'm not saying that Texas whiskey can't be good or Colorado whiskey or Wyoming whiskey can't be good. It's all great. But people know Tennessee whiskey. They feed it as its own category and its own franchise. And so for us, it was very important that we be authentic and we, we make all our juice from grain to bottle and we work with local farmers and use local resources. We try to do just about everything we can. We, we can't make the glass here locally, although I wish right now we could. You know,
0: but <laughs> we really
2: wanted to be authentic. So um,
0: Yeah, I mean, I have a note home. that you're There's grain to glass. That's your mission. Yeah, that's our it's mission. Amazing. That's what we've
2: been doing. All everything is, you know, all our grains are grown in Tennessee. We we get our, our malted products from Baby Farms in Murfreesboro. We get our Tennessee white corn so we don't use feed corn. We use a higher quality uh, Tennessee white corn as our corn base. Um, Tennessee red winter wheat, Tennessee white to arrive, all grown with a, a small family owned operation in Huntingdon, Tennessee, called Renfro Farms. Um, and then all of our mash ends up going back to hog farmers and, uh, and cow farmers when we're done with it, because we just want the alcohol out of it. So what's cool is all the grain, never nothing goes down the trash
0: on the whiskey. No, yeah, that's a whole is, new sustainability issue, right? Now here, here's,
1: oh, here, yeah. was one of, here was one of my questions. I, ne- I never heard of a six-grain whiskey before. Was, is, is, was this a new thing you decided to pioneer? Or? Has it always been that? No,
2: we, we have a four-grain. Uh, four we grains. don't have a six-grain.
1: Maybe um, I just misread no, no. the press release.
2: Oh, no, it's all good. Uh, you know, there's lots of people who've done multiple grains. I mean, to be a bourbon or a Tennessee whiskey, you have to be at least 51% corn. Okay. As far as your other grains, you can use the other 49%, whatever grains you want. Uh, I mean, I know some distilleries that have done 13 and 14 grains in a bill. You know, just try to get lots of, uh, they're looking to get a lot of layers and, and depth from different flavors of the grains. Um, but primarily, most of your bourbons, Tennessee whiskeys, the other grains were either a mixture of corn, and corn, wheat, and malted barley, or corn, rye, and, and malted barley. And so all the four grain is is a blend of those two. So it's corn, wheat, rye, and malted barley. We weren't the first. I mean, Taylor's had a four grain. The H. Taylor's had a four grain out there for a long time and there's those people who did four grains just calling them bourbons because you don't have to call it four grains um, so I would say we're completely innovative on that we just we like the idea of getting a balance where you get the sweet from the wheat you know it's the dry and the fight from the rock
0: well it, it appealed to some judges I guess yeah let's let's yeah. do that they they um you won this is what got our attention 17 medals from the American Distilling Institute and the American Craft Spirits Association. And then you, you all of your um, each of your expressions uh has a, a, a big win. you want to talk about those. Yeah,
2: yeah you know, the ADI was awesome and ACSI was awesome. With ADI we got, you know, a lot of different medals between all of them, but on the four grain bourbon uh we got best in class for bourbon which that's always fun because if the awards are given out... pretty major.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: And then we got overall craft whiskey of the year, so they, they put all the best-in classes for each category together, and we won best all uh basically, whiskey of the year. It's like best of all So best-in-show, I guess you call it. So that was really big from ADI. Uh, you know, my favorite awards has always been the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. Oh, that's right. a major yeah. one. Yeah, and so for us, we, you know our bourbon and our Tennessee whiskey both got double golds there and our Tennessee whiskey got best in class for all Tennessee products. Uh, and then our single barrel bourbon got best in class for all single barrel bourbons under 10 years old. So for me, cause that's a, that's a blind, that's a blind, completely blind. Some of the best judges in the world, you know, they, and you can't get a double gold unless every single judge gives you a blind gold. So to me, that's my biggest honor. Like, I don't think we got the most press off of that one or the, you know, but I think that was our biggest win. And we also got best in class with our bourbon at Sips uh, as well. And we've got a bunch of more awards. And, you know, but unfortunately, a lot of this happened during COVID in the last 18 months. um, So we haven't really been able to, you know, you got to get to the bars and the bartenders, and that's where most people try stuff for the first time. So we're just now kind of getting to see some of the impact in that. So,
1: Right, right. It,
2: you know, when we were first in San Francisco, is last April. The last thing you want to do in that time was to go out and just toot your horn, and the whole world's kind of melted. Right. <laughs> <in.
0: laughs> so, no, no. Well, but on the on the bright side, because of the pandemic, people were drinking more, right? Yeah, that
2: yeah. luckily uh the, the industry we were deemed uh we were deemed by our state as an essential business, so we got to stay in business. Um <laughs> I guess alcohol is essential. <laughs> um, but uh which I'm very happy for. Um but yeah, we got to keep working and you know, the consumption actually increased. Uh not necessarily not whether that's a good or a bad thing, but I think people yeah, I are at home
0: <laughs> It's touchy you know, you have to
2: figure out like, what you want to say, uh yeah, well, it's easier to have that third glass at home, right? You know about, you know? have you, have you and you don't know what's going on with the world. You're like, are we ever going back? Are we ever opening back up? Dad, dad I'm going to have a <laughs> <laughs> Have you,
1: have you do, experimented with any single barrel or anything like that?
2: Oh, yeah. We do a bunch of single barrels. That's the one we actually got at, at San Francisco. We got best single barrel bourbon under 10 years old. Oh, okay. uh, oh, that's the that one. Okay. Yeah, we do, we're doing we're doing stuff with honey cask and finishings. We've got so a lot of test whiskeys. We've got some wheat whiskeys that are turning six and seven. We've got, you know, we've got a lot of inventory that's now turning seven and eight years old. We've got so we've messed around some malts and stuff, but most of all that stuff uh, will be mostly distillery only, very small releases. The, the three main ones will be the rye, the bourbon, and the Tennessee whiskey.
0: Yeah, is no, right? we just got some examples of the Spike Coffee. I mean, is that new? Yeah. That's so that we have two other brands. We have
2: Whisper Creek, which I Jenny can tell you all about cuz I feel like I got to let her do some talking at some point. And uh and we have a, our, our vodka line called Pickers. So, and then our whiskeys David Truman's. So oh, yeah, you
0: Pickers we yeah.
2: Have, yeah, we have three different brands in our in in our family. We kind of consider ourselves more of a supplier, uh distillery just like uh, you know, it's like all the big brands, you know, they they make their own <laughs> vodka they're just under different names, right? Um, but yeah, Whisper Creek, we've actually been working on that one for about three years. The spike coffee so that can's got a, it's actually made with real nitro brewed cold cold brewed coffee that we make in house, uh, and it's just with it's just with our Whisper Creek added. That's all it is. Um, so, it's equivalent to one
0: cup of coffee and one
2: shot of whiskey in a can. So, Jenny came with a great little slogan little can, lot of kick. And uh, we're really excited. <laughs> that's, that's
0: the and, well, well done, Jenny. And it's delicious.
3: Thanks.
0: When, what, what did you guys do before this? We, uh, when we, so,
3: Jeff and I actually have known each other since we were about 13 years old. We grew up in the same town here in Franklin, Tennessee and went to high school together. We were in the same class. Um, And when we both graduated college, we wound up working for competing liquor distributors. So we both worked at the distributor level right out of college, which was pretty unique for people our age. None of our friends had jobs like that. Um, We both managed to score one, and it was fun to, you know, reconnect and see each other and compete against each other, but also to have, like, a friend in the business, you know that you what? could
0: relate to. That's your age and everything. Charming stories, really charming. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: yes, we did. We were not. We were not high school sweethearts or anything. We were just friends, and then later down the road, uh, it became romantic after college and all that. So.
0: Oh wow! Well, what what are you going to do next? You've won everything around. <laughs> <laughs> well, i guess you Jeff, repeat right he's
3: got a, he's Jimmy, got a wanna, lot of ideas. you want to take that one? <laughs> Oh my gosh no um i'm going to let you but i mean they're always experimenting with new things jess is so creative and willing to like try anything and we have a whole creative committee which is comprised of like people in accounting and all different departments of the distillery so it's not just chemists or whiskey makers it's um, just a, a big mixed pot of, of people and they come up with ideas and they try things and um, you know so there's really no telling what we'll come up with next um, we're definitely uh, he's having a good time like doing the honey cast finish I can see them continuing some of those type you know special cast finish projects and things like that with the whiskeys um, but there is no Brand out there that were like, oh, we're gonna come up with a rum next or anything like that. As of now, but we've learned to never say never. <laughs> so there <laughs> will be
2: Yeah, one thing, we when we started, we actually said we were never gonna do anything but the Whisper Creek, or we were gonna just never. Or we were only gonna do whiskey, never vodka. And we realized like, why not? Like, why would we say that? You know, right? So, <laughs> when you're in the beginning, you think you know, stay focused. But then as you build, you realize one, you got to have you've got to have revenue, you've got to have cash flow to stay alive. But two. You've got to, uh, uh, you do. You've you've got to, you know, constantly come up with new ideas. So we we're working with new finishings or with different different grain bills. But the biggest thing for us on what's next is, is expansion. You know, keeping up with trying to build. We're small, so we've got to expand our capacity on our whiskey to make more whiskey. And uh, you know, so we have more in five or six years. It's yeah, going that's going well it. for us now. Uh, we're trying to find new space so we can actually build more you know expand our our storage facility and uh and you know and, and increase our bottling space. We're in three different warehouses right now, so big project really I guess the honest answer is we have a lot of operational growth that we have to focus on
3: so, uh-huh.
2: lots mm-hmm. of good creative things I love now that used to be just Jenny and me and Carter and like a few people now we have a whole team and uh and it's fun to have a creativity committee that they meet once every two weeks, and they bring ideas, and, and it's fun to see what they're doing. So it's, I, I would have to say definitely never say never, because they've brought some great ideas along the way. That's great. There, there,
1: there, there's, there's a liquor producer in northeastern Italy. You should go to their website and look at some of the things that they're doing, because they are just absolutely amazing. The brand is Nonino.
0: Oh.
2: Nonino? No, Nina.
1: They oh, grappa Nino. people. They make they make grappa, but they but they. Can, yeah. What 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 else they what else they do with their grappa? He's really quite amazing.
2: Oh, that's exciting! Yeah, we're actually one of the things we have. We're doing our first batch of this year. We're doing our some uh, Tennessee apple brandy. Uh, we oh, found yeah. a local orchard. Good. Uh, we've uh, a couple that 's been growing they started their own apple orchard in Tennessee. They bought this land specifically for it and they went over to the calvin Calvados, Calvados and they really brought and grew apples specifically for brandies and cognac uh yeah. and they 've been doing it for seven years, so their vines are there. but then what they decided is they didn't want to actually do the distilling and all the production parts they just wanted to grow so they reached out to us about six months ago and asked if we wanted to distill and partner with them and we're really excited about that 'cause uh you know, I think brandy is something. You know, if you go to Europe, you know brandy and cognacs and uh, they're they're very high end. And here, for some reason, the South America, not all America, but the South side, you know, a lot of people see brandy as like a a cheap brand. Um, so I'm really oh yeah, end, but you're talking about South a different.
0: Brandy. You're talking about a different animal altogether. not what you're talking. You're looking to do right. Exactly.
2: Well, and, well, and, guys, they, and they use used whiskey barrels so that's what we have plenty of so we're starting to do that we're going to lay some barrels down this year so really excited about that Jenny gets well, to create you, another brand
1: you guys have a marvelous story we're so glad you shared it with us and our listeners today and we wish you continued success more expansion, more trophies whatever, whatever your heart's desire is we're, we're, sure, you, we're sure you'll get there Yeah,
0: we can vouch for this this superb, superior product, and uh, all those medals aren't aren't wrong; they're right.
3: (laughs) You deserve (laughs) all of them. Thank you. If you come to Nashville, come see
0: us. We'd love to have you guys. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Well, thank you, and thank you very much. you.
4: Podcasting services for on-the-menu radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net.
0: Next up, well, this was something new by way of something to drink for us. And uh, probably it is to you too. I mean, the, the fancy food show has called out the this particular product in its highly expanded beverage section. Uh, it's coffee made with figs called Fig Brew. Uh, listen to Andy Whitehead talk about this. We're going to be talking to Andy Whitehead about his company and products called. Fig Brew, Coffee's Mellow Mate. And Andy, when I read the description of this product, I thought this is going to be a big player in the beverage category. And it turns out that that's exactly what's happening, right?
4: That's affirmative. Uh, we are a coffee alternative and we won uh, Best in Show at the largest coffee festival in the Midwest. So to my knowledge, that's the first time that's ever been done.
0: Now, how did that happen?
4: Yeah, so uh, we're being a new company. We've, uh, we have traveled the country trying to evangelize our wares and our products. So we went to Cincinnati Coffee Fest, first time we've done that. And this is a show where you have lots of coffee vendors as well as others peripheral to the, uh, coffee market. And the people are allowed to vote on which, uh, vendor they see as, uh, the most up and coming and which the, which they like the best, both taste and product presentation. And Fig Brew One, uh, in a general popular vote.
0: Well, bring us up to date, um, of like the back story. I mean, how did you ever think of figs, dried figs, as a coffee alternative?
4: Sure. So first off, I love coffee. I really do. I've been on a 30-year search for the perfect cup of coffee. I've got uh, all, I must have 15 to 20 different ways to brew coffee in my house. But coffee doesn't love me back. It's kind of a one way street, <laughs> so between the acid and the caffeine i I can only really take a limited amount, whereas if I could drink as much as I want, I never would have started down this path and so because I'm addicted to it, if I were to go camping or skip a day i would I would get headaches, and oh, so yeah, yeah. occasionally I've heard of I that would uh, write, yeah, my trainer
0: trainers yeah. like that. She has to have her coffee or she gets a terrible headache.
4: That's right, and that is an addiction. And uh, I would periodically get mad at being addicted to caffeine, and I would go off coffee anywhere from, you know, a week to, in one case, I was off coffee for a year. And I always come back (laughs) just because there's – I'm just as addicted to the coffee culture as the caffeine itself. It's sitting on the front porch, drinking that hot, earthy beverage, and waking up, planning your day. So in those times I've given up coffee, I'm looking through the coffee alternatives, and I've tried everything on the market. Nothing ever really does it for me. But a few years ago, I was reading an article about how in the Second World War in England, they mixed roasted fig with coffee to stretch the rations. And I had never heard of that. (laughs) I thought, oh, what a novel concept. So I played around with uh, roasting and grinding fig and over the course of a few months figured out how to do it in a a cost-effective and, uh, you know, in in my home kitchen environment. And I was just blown away, quite frankly, at how smooth and mellow and and how similar to coffee that it actually was. It tastes exactly like
0: coffee. (laughs)
4: Well, remarkably so. And in I fact, wouldn't if know you, the
0: difference if I didn't know what I was brewing.
4: Right. A lot of customers won't. Well, when you give them a drink the first time, they think, oh, this is just coffee uh, of different, different uh, taste and variety. So uh-huh. if you drink milk in your coffee, there's uh, hard expectations. Before you ever taste it or smell it, when you pour milk in, it needs to look a certain way and this coffee alternative made out of roasted fig is the only one i have ever found that looks exactly like coffee and so immediately your taste buds are prepped to get that uh, that wonderful sensation but
0: peter didn't remember anything about figs and coffee post war no. yeah peter so it's be actually
4: been yeah it's been around quite longer than that. Uh, the earliest reference in the literature to roasted figs is from eighteen seventy three yeah. and so right by the by nineteen hundreds there were at least twenty factories in Germany making roasted fig as a beverage, and Vienna had a worldwide reputation for the quality of its coffee, in part due to the fact that they added roasted fig to the, well, to, the figs don't uh, their grow culture. in
0: Germany, do they?
4: Well, they probably grow in certain locations in Germany. Uh, yeah, first of all, figs, they grow just about everywhere that's a temperate environment. Uh, oh, really? Here in the United okay. States, uh, they grow in just about every state. They're only farmed commercially in California.
0: Right.
4: Uh, but thinking. just about anywhere in the world they will grow to some extent or the other uh-huh so and figs are are actually a quite fascinating fruit uh first off they they're ancient. They were the first oh, fruit yeah. uh, cultivated by humans. they're the first fruit mentioned in the Bible. They're actually an inverted flower. that's why you don't see flowers on a fig tree. The flowers become the fruit similar to how artichoke and uh, prickly pear uh have evolved oh, from yeah. the flowers of those those particular trees. And so they, they really are uh, remarkable, and because they are flowers, they need to be pollinated, and thus enters the fig wasp. The fig wasp comes and bores into the figs, uh, tunnels up, and in doing so, pollinates the fig. And so the fig wasp lays their eggs, uh, so the uh, male and female out of that uh, those eggs, they breed with each other, even though they're brother and sister, the males turn around and, and tunnel out of the fig, and their life cycle is over. The You're females, true. yeah, it's, it's really remarkable. The females follow those tunnels out and then fly away to pollinate other figs. So uh, it's, it's a very symbiotic relationship. Figs are part of a Mediterranean diet. They've been grown uh, in the Mediterranean for thousands of years uh, sustainably, uh, and again, they, you know this symbiotic they were relationship. they everywhere. I
0: mean, you know, I remember when I was in school in Florence, um, just walking back to uh, our our house, um, you passed all these figs hanging from the trees. And you just picked them and ate them. So when right. I got back, I couldn't believe what it cost to to buy figs in this country. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs>
4: And so the roasted fig as a beverage uh is a little different. Uh like I say, it's been around for at least hundred and fifty years. But no one it. knows about it nowadays because it's been uh at least since the Second World War, since there's been a significant coffee shortage. And any time yeah, Well now in the
0: States is- in the South. Um, They used and during the war, my mother used to talk about stretching coffee with um, chicory.
4: Right. And the chicory got its start much the same way.
0: Yeah, and And they still do that in Louisiana, in in New Orleans.
4: Yep. Right. Or France, even. Uh, It's very common in France as well. A lot of the uh, old timers uh, drink chicory coffee. Any time there's been a coffee shortage, people will roast whatever they can get their hands on as a testament to just how much they enjoy that coffee culture. Acorns, Mm -hmm. potatoes, carrots even were roasted in uh, times of severe shortages to simulate uh, the coffee culture.
0: Now, I was surprised um, at at all the different formats – you can. First of all, I was surprised that it wasn't instant. I thought that the that would be the product would be an instant um, a coffee substitute, but it's not. You have to brew it, right?
4: Right. It leaves grounds. You brew it just like uh, a typical roast and ground uh, coffee bean. Uh, it's uh, what is really remarkable is that whatever you do with coffee, you can pretty much do with fig, better, faster, cheaper. For example, you can make uh, French press, pour over. Yeah, it we we use our pop. French
0: press. Well, I forgot how many different kinds of coffee systems we have, and, and I did the French press. Um, I mm-hmm. to do the um, K cups, you need to have a single brew coffee maker, right?
4: You do. You need a Keurig maker for that. Yeah, uh, so we don't as, have that. Yeah. Yep, so as, Similar but, to uh, Nespresso, actually. Nespresso makes a. Uh, Right. Single brew cut that uh, you can also use with roasted fig makes a wonderful cup of Nespresso.
0: Right, and um, and, and you also your your K cups are reusable, which was really good for sustainability. <coughs> That's right. Right.
4: Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we've thought about the packaging from the inception of the company because we think that is something that has an, uh, a remarkable impact on the environment. So, however, we think to package it the first thought is, okay, what is our environmental footprint going to be? So all our packaging products are recyclable or uh, compostable. But, now, uh, so how many
0: formats do you have? You have you have the uh, – we talked about the K-cup, which makes um, sort of an espresso kind of um, – Right. Um, and you also have a product that works with drip coffee makers – French press, which we also mentioned, you also you have the pure um, the pure dried figs which can be mixed with coffee beans, but you also have that blend of the the figs and the uh, coffee that you just use straight right
4: that's right, yeah, and so that's a testament to how we first heard about it to mixing roasted fig with coffee to stretch the rations. Well, mm-hmm. you know, after the war, everybody went straight back to coffee because that's what we, they were after. But it turns out they were adding something very healthy. So our Mellow Mix is a blend of premium coffee and roasted fig 50-50. And right. most people would never know it has roasted fig in. But as you displace half the acid and caffeine from the coffee, you're introducing something very healthy. So now, that's for a wonderful product. Uh, can be brewed any way coffee can.
0: Yeah. So, but so you're really um, you're marketing on the basis of um, convenience, taste, but also health benefits.
4: Yeah, the health benefits are not to be underscored, especially in this time of pandemic. People are looking for healthier options. And so, you know, coffee has been studied to death. It really is. And drunk in moderation, there's no real significant uh, uh, deleterious effects on health. But the problem is most people don't drink it in moderation. If a cup is good, a pot is even better, right? Uh And so, you know, most people ultimately will run into a physiological limitation, even if they can afford to, between the caffeine and the acid. There's limitations to how much they can drink in a day, and fig is not like that. It's, uh, it, it itself is a functional beverage in that it has health uh, advantages over and above the nutritional value, uh, and so it, there's really not much downside to drinking as much fig as you like. You can drink it late in the day, right before bed, uh, early in the morning when you're embedded in that coffee culture. It had it's high in potassium, so it helps regulate blood pressure. It helps with digestion of calcium, so good for bone health, has uh, antioxidants, vitamins, and minerals. So it really is a remarkable and healthy um, uh, beverage. Let me I, I can because I,
1: I do remember being, being a small child during, during the second World one.
0: So,
4: Certainly coffee, my used to Oh, did I lose
0: you, Ann? Um, no, you didn't. Maybe. Peter is okay. not talking into the uh, 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 turned-on phone, which is an issue. I've been trying to okay. tell you that. You're not on the line. I hear you just because you're sitting in the same room, but you're not coming through the phone. Well is it recording is the question.
1: Yeah, it's going into the what? It's going, this is going
0: into the I don't know what he's saying, but anyhow, um Yeah. I, I can barely it. hear him. Well, yeah. he's not he's not plugged into this, which worries me about the recording of it. But anyhow, um, there's nothing to be done but to press on at this point. And then, if there's any okay. issue with the recording, I'll have to get back to you, Indy. Sure, okay? no worries. Okay. Anyhow, um, so we've already talked now about um, the awards that you're winning. It's recognized already as a as a hot, trendy item, and um, and it fits perfectly in with the healthful movement. Um, that everybody's concerned about. Uh, how do you get it? What about its availability?
4: Sure. Uh, you can buy through our website. Uh, Which is, www, I'm not you that. Right, yeah, www.figabrew.com. Right.
0: Uh,
4: just about anybody sells e-commerce these days. We're making entry into small retailers mostly in the local area, but in the near future, I anticipate uh, a more extended rollout uh, to to even larger retailers. Uh, There's really no reason it's not compatible with that.
0: Uh, How do you source these figs?
4: Yeah, so good question. Uh, There's hundreds of types of figs, just like there's hundreds of types of coffee beans, each with its own taste profile and uh, means of roasting. So when we looked, uh, rather than come to market with uh, you know, 100 types of figs, all with subtle nuances on taste, we decided to survey the available figs and, and launch with the absolute best tasting one. And so the ones we use are the uh, uh, figs in, around the Mediterranean. So we source from Spain, from Turkey and Greece, and they make uh, not necessarily the best fig for eating off the tree, but the best fig is a roasted beverage, and that's what that we're after. Amazing. Right. Can and I
0: just ask you, what did you do before discovering figs?
4: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm from the technology sector. I uh, had a, I founded and ran a technology company for about 12 years, and then I ultimately sold it Uh uh, Spent some time building an airplane, and then uh, <laughs> ran across this, and thought, you know, somebody needs to do this. Take this to the world, and uh, and so we did.
0: Well, I think it's it's wonderful, and it was a whole new area for me to explore. Um, I wish you uh, lots and lots of lots of continued success, because it, it really is a success. And one final question is. Um, your marketing strategy, who are you marketing it
4: to? So primarily we're marketing it as a coffee alternative to people who, for whatever reason, would like to participate in the coffee culture but can't. So there's multiple reasons for religious reasons. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists and Mormons right. don't normally participate. Uh, people on ADHD medicine, uh, not not allowed to take uh, caffeine. Pregnant women advised to cut back okay. Uh, okay. while they're pregnant, while they're breastfeeding. Yeah. So there's multiple right. reasons why people are looking for alternatives. And in general, as people age, they kind of develop caffeine sensitivities. Yes. And so these are, these are specifically the people who spent their entire life stumbling to the kitchen for that coffee pot. So it's yeah. it's definitely part of their habit. <laughs> I know <laughs> but that. now they're physiological. Yeah, as do I. The first thing I think about when I get out of bed, where's the coffee? <laughs> and so even though they love it, they can't participate or at least participate as much as they want. And this product allows them to stay right in their wheelhouse with uh, a healthy alternative that uh, can, can bring about other things than just uh, drinking more coffee.
0: Well, I can't wait just to, to follow your company's development, and, and I expect it's going to find its, its mark and be very successful. So cool. I thank, thank you, you for oh, taking sure. the time to talk to us about this, and, and, um, and I'm happy to spread the word about it.
4: Well, it was my pleasure, and thank you for inviting me on.
0: Can you turn it, Rabbit? I guess, as we say every week, that's a wrap. Join us again at the same time, same place next week, and until then.
4: Well,
1: don't forget to smoke up on some famous and beautiful and we'll try to make quite remarkable.
0: Bye bye.